Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. It is always good to be with you. Thanks for tuning in and listening, and we hope that we can continue to make some connections to assist you in your faith, in your spiritual development, as I know that we appreciate all the support that you're giving us as well. Please keep continuing to lift us up in prayer, and we'll do the same for all of you. Father Travis. Absolutely. What is new? You know, just living the life here. Are you? In the Diocese of Sioux City. Staying holy and really, happy, yeah. huh? Truly trying, yeah. Good yeah, for holy, you. holy happy priest of Jesus Christ, as our rector used to say. Good for you. Um, something like that. I, uh, When I was ordained a transitional deacon, uh, Bishop referenced something about me, I don't know, having an evangelical spirit or something cute like that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was funny because that night there's a, a, a quaint little brewery here in Sioux City. In fact, there is some culture left in in Sioux City. Oh, oh sure. Great. Absolutely. Uh, so we went there, and it was funny because, like, all these brothers, now brother priests and some seminarians and some friends, it was actually like a bunch of priests, seminarians, a fully habited nun, and a married couple. Common were, occurrence. Very, very common. Common downtown gathering in downtown Sioux City. Absolutely. So, like, we went there, and it was just funny because I ended up, like, hitting it up with, uh, like, like chatting it up with the uh, random young adults, like the fallen away Catholics sitting at the bar while all of my friends are waiting to like celebrate my ordination, I'm like, right after Bishop Nicholas talking about you know me evangelizing, I'm like just doing a little bar evangelization or whatever. It's the best place to do it. You know, I haven't had a great chance to do that though because of uh, a certain you know experience of 2020 uh, that right. we've discussed. And but I had my first uh, opportunity to do a little bar evangelization. Uh, Ooh, recently. did you land a big fish? Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if if dangle a hook in the if line, Mike. If the bartender Mike's listening, we'll see if he. Uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, uh, shout out to seminarian Al McClarty, uh, who had a 21st birthday. Happy birthday, happy Elliot. Birthday. That's right. Happy birthday, Elliot. Why don't we just let you sing the whole song there? <laughs> That'd be nice. I think he'd really enjoy that. He would. If you haven't already shut off because of that, Elliot. Uh, yeah, don't turn <laughs> off, Elliot. We're not going to talk so, about yeah, you the whole time. He, we're, there's just a, what a great Sioux City establishment, Buffalo Alice, uh, you know, kind of bar pizza. PA's on 4th Street, P- historic 4th Street. It's really historic 4th Street, yeah. Mm-hmm. So turns out that pretty much everywhere in Sioux City is closed on a Sunday night, um, pretty much everywhere. So mm-hmm. we ended up at Buffalo Alice. And we should... Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. We should clarify for our listeners: BA means Buffalo Alice, not anything else. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, don't. don't Everyone calls don't. it BAs, but it has a different meaning. It's a simple abbreviation of Buffalo Alice. Very good. I have no idea what that means, but what Buffalo Alice means. But there's a buffalo in there. So we'll research that Check for a new out. episode. But it was just great because uh, <laughs> when yeah, when you go into any establishment that I mean, this place isn't just like a like a dive. Well, it's kind of a dive bar, but it's like a restaurant too. They have pizza and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you go in anywhere with a collar on, with a Roman collar on, you just get all sorts of interesting conversations. The and air I, is, goes out of the room. And this is why, like, <laughs> I no, I mean, nothing against priests who, who you know, some priests kind of wear, like, you know, clerics is kind of more of like a, just like a, like a business, like when, when you're, when you're working as a priest in the office, you have the clerics on and then sometimes just more casual clothes or whatever. But this is why I love wearing, wearing the collar because it's like, you just get in the best conversations, but What's really funny is I've uh, I've become something of a kind of a craft cocktail connoisseur in, mm. in recent months and, and I have a lot of fun. I love I love doing that kind of stuff and like having people together and making nice things. 
So um, what was funny about this was the bartender was trying to sort of like, he, I'd asked if they had a certain ingredient, and he's like, well, no, we're not that kind of place. So he's kind of trying to like show me like what's up. Okay. And then in our, our conversation continued, and he's asking, well, what do you like? And I was telling him these different whiskey cocktails, and he's like, uh, well, actually, it's called this. I'm like, actually, that's that's not right. It's called this, this, this. So I was kind of, I was kind of. You're having a whiskey throwdown with I a bartender. Having a little huh? whiskey throwdown with bartender Mike. So um, we'll we'll see how that how that turns out. But uh, did he leave with a bitter taste in his mouth? Or that's kind of funny because bitters is what I was talking about. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it was a good. Uh, I think I think he. I, I kind of like. I kind of showed him I had a little street cred, and he kinda, I think there was a little respect exchange. Oh, so. okay, good. It was good. So uh, we'll see. But and then you invited him to a Bible study, didn't you? We don't really have any of those right now. That's true. Um, can't meet in person. Can't, yeah, so hopefully. Can't meet in person. Tell me about it, sad trombone. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what the little sound effect's called. But yeah, so that's been that's been what's going on. Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to find a little bar evangelization where we can. Well, we have to bring them back. Nobody be scandalized. It was a very prudent and you know moderate time at Buffalo Alice. Yeah, Father Travis wasn't getting tipsy on us, folks. No, it was all right. Just celebrating Elliot McClarty. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Elliot. Oh gosh, weird. <laughs> well, you can tune out now, Elliot. It might get even more awkward. So. No. I'm sure he'll stay tuned in. He will. I'm sure all the seminarians do for the vocation director, right? They do. Yeah, just to suck up enough. Well, I'm, I, I, I used to suck up as a seminarian, but I'm gone, so they don't have to. You're do gone. You do what are we, your what are we chatting now? about here? Father Travis, sometimes when I am visiting with teenagers, young adults, I sometimes get this attitude, kind of like this smug attitude or this disdain towards the Bible. Yeah, not and a good vibe. Not always a good vibe, you know. And it's not always living in a culture in which a lot of people have given up on the faith or were never evangelized or catechized in the first place. Walking up to somebody and saying, hey, do you want to read Paul's letter to the Romans with me right now? Mm-hmm. There, there's no context by which that can be received right. or appreciated. So the Bible, you know, when you try when you uh, when you reference it, sometimes people immediately kind of tune you out, and they're like, "Oh, you're getting preachy on me. I don't, I don't buy that." But anyways, there's this disdain that I find so much among uh, young adults and teenagers, in which, well, that's not actually really credible. Oh, you, you yeah, know, right. that's not like a real historical document. That was just written by some people from their subjective, you know, faith perspective. But that's not like actually a real historical, concrete expression of, of world history. And I said, okay. Well, do you think that Allied forces invaded Normandy in June of 44? Allied forces. Oh, yes, Father, absolutely. Okay. Do you think that Napoleon in the 18th century invaded Italy and Egypt with his French troops? Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. Do you think that the bubonic plague raged across Europe in the 14th century? Absolutely. Okay. Do you think Moses left Israel, or excuse me, Moses led the Israelites out of ancient Egypt? Uh, Uh, I don't know. Do you think Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the grave in Bethany? No. Anyways, there's this right. there's this immediate tone of suspicion. <laughs> Do you think Muhammad converted all of all of the Arabian Peninsula? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> there's this immediate tone of suspicion that the Bible itself cannot be trusted as a historical document. Yeah. Anything that uh, anything that comes from the Bible, well, that's just that's someone's belief. You know. Yeah. It might have been ancient. Might have been written in historical ancient. Uh, uh, grammatical forms and ancient languages and blah, blah, blah. 
but you can't actually like treat that as real. And so I like to push, you know, and, and you get into this vast subject of the credibility of human testimony. Mm-hmm. You know, well, how do we know that Napoleon invaded Egypt? Well, we have historical documents. Okay, well, what do the documents say? Well, the documents include the eyewitness accounts of people who saw it, and it was written down. Oh, just that, huh? <laughs> so the people who like actually witnessed Jesus do these things and shared it with their friends, and someone wrote it down. Is that not the same process? Well, yeah, but you see, you know, and all of a sudden this suspicion just comes creeping back in again, right? Because that which, in the in the contemporary kind of disdain uh, for religion and organized belief. That which is unexpected, that which seems to be outside of the norm or, or outside of our normal human expectations, that which could be miraculous in which God reveals himself or intervenes in human affairs, no, <laughs> we're not going to grant that. No, thanks. Going to just pass that off. I'm going to go find a different version of God that and, will meet my expectations. Well, and also along with that too, that's kind of underneath it, I think sometimes that I've seen with my own peers you know what, like Napoleon's adventures, that doesn't really challenge you Mm -hmm. in how you live very much, you know, and like knowing things about D-Day. Right. Yeah, you might not want to start another world war or something, but like that's not really going to change like how you treat people in your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of a sudden you start talking about the facts of the Bible and then all of a sudden it's, wait, I actually should follow this? Mm -hmm. I should actually, wait, if this guy actually rose from the dead, if this like, story of salvation history that unfolded through thousands of years that culminated in God becoming man that people still, you know, profess and worship. Oh, that Mm -hmm. actually kind of demands something of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's not very credible. Mm -hmm. Even though we have these wonderful uh, opportunities with scientific means to actually study the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, I have friends that have studied the Biblicum in Rome, this very advanced institute, or you could go to Le Biblique in Jerusalem, a very another advanced institute for uh, biblical studies. Some of these students, I mean, they're studying ancient hieroglyphics. They're studying Ugaritic, an ancient language. They're studying Aramaic. They're studying Hebrew, Greek, um, Arabic, all these ancient uh, forms, some modern, some ancient, to say, how can we actually take the Bible and do like a, a literary analysis of the genres, the different types of literary styles, whether this is poetry, whether it's a, a form of prayer, whether it's a historical chronicle, whether it's a biography. How do we actually study the Bible as a historical document? How do we actually incorporate it into a larger perspective of literature from the Middle East? Right. How do we understand the impact of, of ancient language, cultural expressions, uh, idiomatic phrases that trickled in to the writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but still writing in a cult, uh, in a cultural means, a cultural method, with a language of that given day and age. How can we understand that and study it from all the other ancient literature that was around at the same time? All these tools are available to us, let alone the archaeological digs that can pull up some things that are referenced uh, in sacred scripture. Sure, all of these things are supporting evidence. Not scientific proofs like 2 plus 2 equals 4, but uh, supporting arrows that are all pointing in the same direction to say, yeah, there's, there's worthy grounds for belief here. Obviously, you know, looking at it as a historical document, one is invited then to become a believer to take the content of that document, to see it as inspired by God, 
and to say, well, what was the Lord actually revealing here of himself or what was he inviting the human response to as he seeks our hearts in greater obedience, wanting to redeem us from our sinfulness? That obviously is a further step than just simply looking at it at a distance from a historical perspective, just studying it as a student would uh, an ancient text. But the, the, the point is, is that these things should not just be completely dismissed as, as unworthy of historical relevance or unworthy of, of a great impact on our lives for today. Right. Nor should those who believe what the Bible professes to be true be treated as non-scientific, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember when I was entering college seminary, a high school teacher of mine referenced the fact that I would be going to a Bible college. Right? Mm. So it was interesting that the, the, the idea of somebody being formed to be a priest or a minister or a sort of proclaimer of the gospel would be one who would simply sort of seemingly blindly study the Bible. Right? Mm. So she didn't realize I was getting an accredited liberal arts degree majoring in philosophy, right? sure. which digs into a lot more than just this Bible. Right? right. And I think that's, that's a common conception, right? That we're, we're kind of blindly following this feeling that's kind of loosely found in this uncredible collection of documents. Mm-hmm. I think what's so clear that I've experienced and I continue to experience is that the experience, <laughs> I said experience like five times there. Okay. Let's tell us your experience. Let's experiences. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about my experience uh, of faith seeking understanding. That's mm-hmm. always been the, um, Experience, no. <laughs> it's always been the, the reality and practice in the church of encountering the person of Jesus, but then seeking to understand that in a, in, a, in a credible way. And that's what all this scientific research that goes into archaeology of biblical sites, goes into the scriptural texts, um, the ancient texts we have. Of course, mm-hmm. not the original ones, but um, yeah, all those. And from that experience of encountering the text, <laughs> there are further experiences, right? Because... Because it is the word of God, because it is sacred scripture, it does not speak as if it's just a historical document relegated to the past. It continues to speak in a very fresh way in which the Holy Spirit will impact minds and hearts, reading it on a daily basis in new ways, not only to apply it to our lives in today's context, but to keep drawing out the significance of what it meant for the people who originally experienced that revelation or that miracle or or whatever was you know the context of that that biblical truth, uh, you you can keep drawing out this endless mine, uh, almost like a gold mine. Keep pulling out these nuggets of truth, these wonderful elements of support and spiritual encouragement, in which the Holy Spirit keeps uh, speaking alive in a in a fresh way because it's a living word. Right. This isn't a dead archaeological find. This is a living word that continues to propel us forward in deeper belief and deeper deeper self-awareness and identity of God's love for us, that it makes an impact right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, not only is there a spiritual experience, but look at the ramifications that has come about from the biblical truths. Um, obviously, the greatest credibility that uh, Christianity has within its grasp is the witness of the martyrs, Right. No one is dying. No one is, no one is giving their life to uphold the beliefs of whether or not Napoleon invaded ancient, or excuse me, Egypt in the 1700s. Right. No one's dying for that. No one is going, you know, to 
to willingly give up their lives, having been persecuted by a government, in order to uphold that. But the martyrs have, mm-hmm. for the truths that the Bible records, uh, the truths that uh, contain the, the fullness of our salvation, those truths you know, continue to inspire people to lay down their lives in witness um, to God himself, who obviously came to die for our sins. There's the experience of artists and architects who continue to create astounding treasures of beauty, all based on their beliefs of what this historical document, really a library of documents, contains within the Bible. Um, You can go on and on and on about the witness of all of these folks who have consistently laid down their lives. No one is laying down their lives. No one is creating continual expressions of art and architecture and beauty based on just random historical documents of the past. I'm sure there were some great Persian kings. Okay, well, how is that impacting anyone today? Right. And look at, the, look at the lasting impact in every generation that a biblical-minded people continues to give to the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm always so um, inspired by the fact that the patristic fathers, and I'll explain what I mean by that, talk about this stuff. So the, the, the people who wrote right after the scriptures were written or during the same time even, like right up against... These men, and men especially, lived in like living memory of these events. And I think just as you're describing like architecture and stuff, we look today and we say, okay, well, we see Christians living as Christians. We see Jews living as Jews. We see kind of recent Western civilization and architecture. We see these beautiful churches in in Rome, but a lot of them were kind of built or, or, or refurbished in kind of the 1800s and things like that, or even some older ones in the Baroque period and stuff like that in the 1600s. But to read these things that the the first or second generation of Christians are writing, it, it just shows that there's this um, there's a consistency there. And sometimes it seems that contemporary people today we look at what we see and then the immediate history and then make this extreme leap and then say and then we have these ancient documents. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly true. We we have these documents. Sure, we don't have the original things that they were written on, but we we have writings from some of these martyrs themselves who died in the first couple centuries after. Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so sometimes inspired by the that kind of unbroken tradition as well, not just the scripture itself. It, that helps me desire to know the text and the scripture even more when I can see that these, these saints, these martyrs, these early followers of Christ who were formed by the apostles are writing things, and we've passed down their writings as, as well. Mm-hmm. And, and what they're talking about looks a lot like what we're still doing in the church, mm-hmm. um, and it looks a lot like what Christ was talking about in the scriptures. Right. So as you say, we've passed this down, right? Mm-hmm. It's been passed down for 20 centuries since Jesus ascended, and he looks to his body of believers as his body on earth to continue his mission to announce the salvation that he has achieved for all of us. And as we pass that down, you know, th- that that encompasses like every aspect of life. I mentioned the martyrs. I mentioned the artists and the architects. Uh, there have been you know, consecrated men and women who vow themselves to poverty, chastity, and obedience, consecrated virgins who have taken vows before God right. based on these truths uh, of being a very biblically-minded people to say this is a living truth that still impacts me today. How many other ancient documents our communities gathering around them, gathering around the document to want to hand that down to the next generation. I mean, who's doing that with with ancient biblical or ancient non-biblical texts? Right. 
So when we talk about handing this down, we're not just handing a document to say, hey, keep it preserved in in an airtight glass case. We're saying keep it preserved in your mind and heart as a lived encounter with the living God, as an entire lifestyle that shapes you. Um, so to any, of our, to any of our listeners out there, whether you're a practicing Christian or, or someone who's just kind of exploring or maybe even someone who's rejected Christianity, uh, if there's, if there's a, a sense of skepticism in your heart in looking at the Bible as something that's not credible, as something that cannot be trusted, as something that perhaps just needs to be dismissed as, as nostalgic child's play or as maybe just fanciful fairy tales, you know, you might want to just examine your own heart to say, are there prejudices in me right. <laughs> against this document that it, I, am, I am somehow prohibiting the document to speak to me? Uh, again, I keep calling it a document, but it's actually a whole library of different books and genres. But th- this book of the Bible, is there something in me? Is there a presumption, a negative skepticism in me that is really prohibiting me from engaging this, this text in a way that continues to speak fresh but also in a way that has had rich historical significance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would encourage all of our listeners to, to take a look and to examine our own hearts against any of that skepticism so that something uh, can be approached, as you say, with faith, seeking greater understanding mm-hmm. and not holding it at arm's length saying, well, I'm going to stick my nose up that up at that and not actually trust it, thereby cutting you know, your, arm, your own arm off to allow this very rich, inspired word of God to impact your life. Right. Just one last thing. If, if you've got, you know, kids and family members who are kind of on that side and you're feeling like the one outcast from your family because you're still believing the scriptures, Bishop Barron didn't pay us anything to say this, but uh, the Word on Fire uh, Institute has produced this new Bible called just simply the Word on Fire Bible. And the whole idea is to take the scriptures out of the kind of, you know, kind of like dusty onion whatever that's called, onion skin paper, like really thin experience of the scriptures of this kind of very like unapproachable text that mm-hmm. just seems like this thing that is just lost in antiquity and to look at it with like fresh um, eyes. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful publication. Um, I've seen it, a few different people have had it and it's beautiful because it incorporates this rich history of the church mm-hmm. from reflections from these church fathers, from beautiful art that's been developed over the centuries that shows this is a living word in a living text because the same Jesus Christ who inspired those to write these through the Holy Spirit is the same one living in the church today. So if, I mean, a, a, a beautiful kind of tool to offer for those family members might be this word on fire Bible. I know they're selling out like crazy, so it might be hard to get up. They are available. One. They are available. They, they are yeah. available. Yes. I've so got ch- one. They're, they're still available. Yes. Yeah, so so. do, do check that out. And there's, there's a really nice way that I've seen they do it where they have these beautiful ones bound in leather, you buy one of those and then they give you like a, a number of them of the paperback ones at a cheaper cheaper mm-hmm. price. So that'd just be a great tool, I think, to use that, praise God, the church is trying to offer the scriptures in a, in a new light to the, you know, those who feel outcast. Mm-hmm. Father Travis, it's always good being with you. Thanks for uh, diving into this really rich topic. I'm sure we can come back and reference scripture themes again in the future, but to anyone with this skepticism, check your heart, okay? Adios. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.